Hello and welcome to Raising Learners, a conversation about supporting your child's learning in school and at home. Throughout this series, we discuss questions like how to build a great relationship with your child's school and teacher, how to keep your child safe online, and how to navigate the sometimes challenging final years of high school. I'm Julie Green from raisingchildren.net.au and I'll be hosting today's episode. I want to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands where each of us are recording today and to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. For me, that's the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Today we're talking about re-engaging and reconnecting learners or children and young people who might be reluctant to go to school or return to school after an absence. My guest today is Genevieve Higgins, head of the Jesuit Social Services Navigator Program, which is funded by the Department of Education and Training Victoria, and it supports 12 to 17-year-olds who are chronically disengaged from school. Welcome, Genevieve. Thank you. Great to have you with us. Genevieve, missing a day of school every now and again is pretty normal, but there are sometimes things going on for young people and families that can get in the way of children going to school regularly or, you know, that might lead perhaps to avoiding school Mm. and that can really lead to disconnecting um, young people from their learning. So... Perhaps um, I could ask if you could firstly talk us through some of the school attendance problems that parents might need to deal with in their family and what are the issues for children and young people and families that really sit underneath those problems or challenges? Yeah, sure, Julie. Look, and I'll start with just a comment on when we're looking at intervention, it does start with identifying the issues and challenges that we're observing and having a shared understanding and on how everyone experiences those challenges. And when I say we, I'm referring to young people, parents and carers, schools and other supports, that real team around the learner. And at the heart of getting to that shared picture of what's happening is effective communication, skills, strategies and processes that promote relationships and connection, and that will eventually enhance the ability to problem solve. So it's a great place to start because underlying issues are things that we've probably all noticed and seen, and something that's probably pretty familiar to people, which includes some of the emerging mental health challenges. There's no doubt that COVID-19's had a significant impact on young people's ability to engage remotely, but also how they must be feeling. There could be pre-existing mental health challenges or learning difficulties and sometimes anxiety issues at the surface that can, um, I guess, lead to further further challenges down the track, including school refusal. And I'll I'll talk a little bit about some of those categories later on, but we're also talking about things that are out of young people's control, things like homelessness and poverty, family violence and conflict occurring in the home and COVID-19 once again has shown itself to be such a trying time because people are now feeling it economically, feeling it emotionally and physically. So people are really, I guess, uh, at their lowest ebb in a lot of ways and it's very hard to pull from these resources within when you're really down. Sometimes there are even, I guess, school-based realities. 
um, issues including lack of connection to school or conflicts and bullying and those sorts of relationship-based challenges that can take place and, you know, not things like health issues um, and health issues that uh, parents and carers might be experiencing. So that's just some of what might be happening under the surface. Yeah, well, that's a pretty extensive list there. Mm. Uh, what about family dynamics? That must part play a part here too. Look, it really does. And look, I've touched on something at the pointy end around um, young people experiencing family violence. Um, but we're also talking about anyone in a, who's been impacted by what's happening now. When you're in a state of distress and when you're concerned about what's happening for yourselves, I think the problem-solving abilities and some of those ways of actually reaching out and connecting with others and addressing those challenges are much harder. I wonder if you could unpack some of the language that we hear around um, children and young people not going to school because terms like truancy, school refusal, I mean, they're relatively common terms, but um, I think um, our parents listening would probably really value um, if you could unpack what those terms actually do mean. So when we talk about school refusal, we're talking about this reluctance to attend school. So the young person is experiencing severe emotional distress and there's a deep-seated aversion. It's almost I'm repelled by the idea of going there and the distress is so heightened. You can imagine this young person's uh, amygdala is firing in such a way that they're really fighting and resisting that um, going to school. And that's really at the pointy end of um, mental health challenges in young people. Um, we might be talking about truancy and it's important with truancy, we, we have language that we talk about skiving off or nicking off from school. Truancy is that. Truancy is not attending school or registering and nicking off halfway through the day without people knowing, without the knowledge of parents and carers. There's also the category we call, call school withdrawal and this is interesting because I think the best way to think about it is the absence is occurring because the family's difficulty in getting the child to school rather than the child's difficulty in being at school. So what we might be seeing is a young person has some roles and responsibilities at home, uh, caregiver to siblings, looking after a family member who might be unwell. It might also be that parents have a different uh, value or place a different value on education and might not be prioritising that place to go to for a young person. And it could also be that parents and carers have their own anxieties and worries and concerns about the place the young person is going to. And so there's a tendency to keep them at home or accept that they can stay home. So that's a very complex one, school withdrawal, and many things play out in that dynamic there. And we're also talking about school exclusion. And that's more about um, school-based decisions that uh, mean that the young person might have to stay home, whether they're exhibiting problematic behaviours or there's incidents that are occurring and their suspensions and expulsions take place. It could also be that there's a disciplinary action, you know, uh, that um, might actually be increasing vicious cycles around engaging in school. So that's a challenge because... Schools need to keep these places safe, but parents and carers need their young people at school. Mm, well, look, clarifying those terms is really helpful because, as you say, it can help give um, parents a language um, with which to have conversations and to tune into conversations, which is definitely something we'll unpack um, a little further. 
Genevieve, what are some early warning signs that children might be starting to disengage with school that parents can be on the lookout for? And tell us your best suggestions for picking up on those and stepping in early rather than waiting and hoping the issue might resolve itself. Yeah. Look, early warning signs typically involve change in the way people feel, how they function and relate to others. So if we think about that, what you might be seeing are emotional changes. It could be loss of pleasure in things that they once enjoyed. It could be uh, physical challenges, you know, loss of appetite, sleep disturbance and fatigue, you know, just shoulders down, head down, dragging the heels. There could be thought changes. There's a lack of concentration or focus or it's too hard to switch off this, all these thoughts circulating away in a mind. There could be overly pessimistic. You know, I hear a lot sometimes from young people going, I hate school, I don't like that place. That real negative um, rhetoric around going to that school. Um, and also being a bit negative about their own life and future. Um, and behavioural changes you might see is if you're withdrawn, like an ordinarily bubbly young person who's all of a sudden not talking as much, spending a bit more time in their room away from the family unit, a lack of interest in the performance in schooling drops. I think that's a pretty clear marker when the sort of um, teachers are noticing something going, oh, you know, sort of not putting in as much effort and there seems to be sort of a lack in interest, you know, things like that. Those sorts of things can be there. And I think in younger children, you're going to see some separation anxiety issues, some of those early signs about not wanting to be away from a parent. Um, and I think there's also the situational context that honestly is so out of young people and parents and carers' control sometimes. If you're homeless, I mean, you're moving around. Where am I putting my head and my bag next? Being have access to just normal everyday things like a washing machine or, or just even books and access to technology to just to be a part of the place that I'm going to. So they might be some of the early warning signs you'll see. Mm, that's um, terrific. Thanks. So what are your top suggestions or tips or tools for parents to open up a conversation uh, with a young person or to respond to those early warning signs that you've just outlined? Mm. I would say the, the first thing I always talk to parents about is checking in with yourself, checking in with how you're feeling firstly. What we think influences how we feel and thoughts can sometimes be a little bit misleading and so we might respond in ways that we really didn't wish we wanted to respond like you know we could get angry and frustrated ourselves that worry that can drive those decisions can be really ineffectual when you really were just making such a best effort to deal with this issue when our thoughts and feelings align it helps us to formulate effective responses so the logical step might be to check in with the school right away. Who's that teacher? Who's that key person that the young person might have talked about before who's been a really good supporter of them or who seems to be interested in that young person? Get in touch. Now schools are so busy and I understand that and you can check in with an email but technology right now, I think one of the big things we've learned is that technology is available to all of us and we do have access to each other face to face. So I'd be encouraging parents and carers to check in with the school about how can we FaceTime and have these conversations? How can we get through a Zoom or a WebEx to get together and talk about these things? But I would always lean in with a curious lens. I always think it's so important not to assume the worst and to always lean in and say, 
to a teacher or a carer or a wellbeing person at the school, this is what I'm noticing, this is what I'm observing, these are my worries. Can you tell me what you're seeing? Or can you keep an eye out for that? And can we have a communication plan where we can check in with each other um, regularly just to sort of touch base on these sorts of things? Those little early conversations and putting that on people's radar is a really good way of just ensuring that that team around the learner stays a bit, stays strong, you know? Mm. Yep. And what's your take on um, checking in with the young person and um, and sort of feeding back uh, observations that a parent might have picked up? That's key. And I think, again, that sort of cautious and curious approach is always the best, um, talking about what you're noticing. Because you're also – parents and carers are filled with so much data. They know so much about their young person – and I think you're checking in about well, what happened before and what's happening now. You're processing all this sort of stuff. You've checked in with yourself. Okay, so now it's time just to sit down and go, how are things going? This is what I'm noticing. Am I hitting the mark? If kids are saying to you as well that this person's being awful to me or, you know, I don't like this teacher because I think they talk to me in this way, I think it's actually really important to go, I need to check in on that actually might be the truth. That actually is something important I need to investigate. I think worry means that there's a tendency for us as parents and carers to maybe want to sort of explain that away for young people, sort of go, don't worry about it, it'll get better, see how it is next week, it's all right. But in fact, maybe what we need to do is, is go, is this actually really happening? I need to investigate this further and be curious about that. And being able to say to your young person, I hear what you're saying. That sounds like something you're really worried about. I'm, I'm going to check in about it and I'll do it in a really safe way. I'm not going to sort of blow the trumpet. I'm not going to sort of let everyone know. But I think it's my responsibility to check in about your experiences. I just wanted to quickly also throw in that kids need to experience success and receive great feedback. And if I was going to give one of my hot tips, it would always be, even if it's the little things, be specific and let kids know that they're doing a great job um, help them to set goals and problem solve. But the opportunity to just see those little moments, those gems and go, what you did just then was really fantastic or the work that I read was just so clear and brilliant to read, well done. Any opportunity to do that is also really important. Mm, they're, um, they're terrific words of wisdom and they, they actually resonate with what we know um, about research um, with adolescents, you know, as they as they grow and develop uh, and move through the teenage years, that they, um, of course, they they're still looking to grow their independence and build their own identity, but they really do see their parents and carers as as the go to rock in their in their lives. Absolutely. So, and um, so that's um, that's terrific. Thanks. So there's some really valuable um, tips there for parents. Genevieve, what about um, how might schools respond in a helpful way? So for me, it comes back to whether it's with schools or with parents and carers, it's about keeping those lines of communication open, having faith that everyone's trying to do the right thing, but also if you want to keep people accountable, insist on everyone getting in the room to have an effective conversation about what's been happening first. The tendency to jump to problem solving sometimes is actually really unhelpful 
because we don't understand yet. And what we need to understand is, is what the angles that people see this barrier from or this challenge. And then when we have that cleared picture in the centre of the room looking at it, we can make fantastic decisions. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is if you can get people in the room to have these conversations and elevate the parent's voice, the student's voice in those decision-making processes and plans, you're going to have more effective strategies in place and a high degree of accountability. Mm, So school and, um, and family... Uh, working together with that young person front and centre. I think what what I'm hearing you say is that it's a great formula to wrap around support um, for that young person. Oh, most definitely. I mean, parents and carers feel sometimes a lack of confidence in understanding mental health and that space. So you can see that we need people, all these people with all these different skill sets and understanding to wrap around that young person. And parents are wanting that. They're absolutely wanting that and they value the knowledge that schools have around not just understanding the young person in front of them but also addressing those challenges. In this conversation I've emphasised communication and one of the ways that we work and that perhaps parents and carers aren't familiar with is the term restorative practice. Um, And restorative practice is a set of principles and it's also a way of working. You know, the principles are things that we live by, things like doing no further harm, working with people instead of doing things to or for, and most importantly in all of this is looking for ways to reset and restore the right relationships. So when I talk about communication and I talk about restorative practice, we're trying to get people in the room to understand what's happened how people have been affected or impacted by what's happened so we can get to a shared understanding and then look for really ways to problem solve and come up with new and different approaches based on that new and rich understanding that's in front of us now. Mm, So relationships are key and respectful relationships are even more central. Absolutely. And I think more and more our schools are moving towards relationship-based education Um, connection and rather than content is where we should be going in terms of supporting our young people. Mm, And um, yes, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of knowledge and expertise um, within the schools, which is wonderful. What about um, outside school? If we, you know, look at community services, what, what can they offer to parents uh, when their children or young person are disengaged from school? They can offer, first of all, validation um, and acknowledgement that it's tough and they can give confidence that they are doing a good job. So the type of supports that parents and carers can access in the community could be anything from your local GP, um, it could be anything from uh, connecting with um, services and aid, like school parent groups. We know that lots of schools have parent groups and they are a wonderful resource for touching base with each other about your experiences. Parents Victoria is a peak body that supports parents and often advocates for parents in schools and so they're a fantastic um, organisation and Prevention United is another great um, peak body that has a lot of resources available for parents to digging deep in understanding perhaps mental health challenges. 
in schools as well, actually. Um, the Department of Education does fund fantastic programs in school and outside uh, the Triple S network, which has um, a complement of social workers, psychologists, um, occupational therapists. And, and these guys are positioned really well to also assess what's happening, if young people have any learning difficulties or might be falling behind. Perhaps there's actually other reasons for that that are really important to explore. So I can't diminish um, the importance of making sure that there's there might be other issues and challenges going on and there are those other services out there that can um, you can leverage off and you can connect with. They have doctors in schools. The Department of Education has funded some wonderful um, programs, nurses in schools, um, the wellbeing uh, networks in schools are really dynamic. You have social workers, counsellors, psychologists. Um, I think also Headspace and CAMS, which is called the Child and, Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service. These are programs or organisations that can actually also assist parents, you know, and carers around what they might be observing, what they're noticing, what they need support in or the areas they need help with. And there's um, funded programs that are free, like the positive parenting programs. Um, there's the partners in parenting and tuning into kids and tuning into teens, which are fantastic organisations as well that can help equip you as a parent or carer with um, other ways of working or other ways of seeing what's happening and other ways of perhaps attending to the issue or challenge. And Personally, also, that self-care piece for the parent and carer, you checking in with those services for yourself, taking that time that you need for yourself to, I guess, fill you up, to restore um, uh, what's happening for you, you know. It's really important that you take care of yourself and you attend to those really um, important needs, like healthy, healthy eating, um, you know, sleeping, relaxation strategies, ironically, probably similar things I would recommend for young people. You know, I'd recommend for a parent or carer as well. In your area of work, I'm sure you've seen some terrific outcomes of um, children or young people reconnecting with school when the, the right kind of supports are put around them. Mm. Can you think of a story you could share? Look, we've got lots of examples um, of working to re-engage young people. And look, there is one example where there is a young person who sort of started withdrawing from school, feeling anxious about what was happening, feeling like falling behind academically, starting to sort of get a bit more worried and a bit anxious about returning to school. And I guess getting in the room and preparing everyone to have a conversation about that was critically important. But starting with that first point, which was how can we understand what's happening here? And we spent a lot of time preparing that young person and talking to them and in talking to everyone and saying, we want to elevate this young person's voice. We want you guys to all hear how they see their situation and what's happening for them before we chuck in ideas or solutions. And it was really interesting because... For that, for that young person to be able to speak so freely and openly, the teachers in that room, it was really wonderful to see because they were not only encouraged just by the fact that he was there to talk and was able to articulate these things, but they really did under, started to understand. And what that meant was because schools have the oversight, schools have the authority around how they can deliver this education, they were really fantastic to be able to say, well, 
Let's start talking about a re-engagement plan that involves a timetable where you can play to your strengths a little bit more. Let's try and get you back into the classroom doing the things that you really love whilst you still need to do those other things. Is there another space in the school where you could start doing that? If you don't want to be in the classroom and you feel like you're behind, can we give you some one-on-one -on -one support in the library? Is there a tutor? We had volunteers at the school. How can we set this up? And it was also important for the parent to talk about the commitment that they can make at home. So when these work tasks are set, what can you do with Billy at home, you know? So I'm just making up that name, by the way. What can you do with this young person at home? What sort of activities can you sort of encourage? And then also this conversation went to, and now we've got these goals, how are we going to tick off and acknowledge these successes? What are we all going to do? And I think over time after that meeting, what was fantastic is this young person started following through. There were these little blips up and down, but everyone knew their role. Everyone was responsible for what was on that plan and took some real serious steps to make sure that if things dropped off, they picked it back up. And I felt like this young person felt not just monitored to mentor, if that makes sense. It was almost like I'm going to keep an eye on you to mentor you back into this place and make sure it's as safe as possible. And I think having uh, all those right people in the room, which also included, interestingly, an external service, a clinical external service that the young person was um, engaging with, that meant that the plans were happening in the school and out. It was a beautiful continuity in that plan. So, um, you know, plans are only as good as the follow-up and, you know, making sure that people are accountable and, 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 and are following through. So that's a great example in my book. So Genevieve, you've given us some really good examples of what parents can do at home. Are there any other practical tips that um, might be useful for parents to hear about that can speak to a routine that can really help set the scene for a young person to get back into school as soon as possible? Oh, absolutely. I mean, ensuring that a young person has a good night's sleep, routines are really critically important. Um, it's setting up the day. It's, it, it's closing off the evening. And sleep as we know, is so important for brain development and function. Young people need to rest and relax and they need to switch that part of them off so that they can recuperate and be ready and energised for the day. Um, I would encourage uh, parents and carers to put some boundaries around devices uh, and we, you know, screens and technology, as valuable as they are in some situations, that's the kind of thing you're still, you, your brain is still firing, you're still very activated and I think that it needs to be understood that if we're going to switch off of an evening, reading a good book, sitting with your young person and just having a good read, um, just having a conversation, having a cup of tea but really steering away from things that are actually stimulating the brain far too much is pretty important as well. I also would say that when you want to bounce out of bed and you've had your good sleep and you're still you know, might be sort of wake up in the morning and the young person saying, I don't know if I want to go. You also want to encourage those really strong connections and relationships with, you know, with friends, you know, walking to school with someone who's a good mate who lives down the road. If, you've, if the kid goes to a local school, um, having your home a place of welcoming as well, where you're 
you know, son or daughter can bring their friends back. So keeping those connections going are really important. And also for you guys to role model that stuff, you know, parents and carers being able to get up in the morning, you know, showing their own healthy behaviours and um, ways of managing their emotions or distress and, and showing that sort of positive mindset and giving great feedback, role model all that sort of stuff for your young person as well. And, and I think you'll get some real connection and, and, and hopefully some traction there as well in terms of getting them back into school. Mm, thanks so much. So if I was to summarise um, where you've taken us, I think uh, you've unpacked lots of reasons uh, for children and young people missing school. There might be things going on for the young person or their family or things happening with peers in school, but that staying connected to learning is hugely important for children and young people. Uh, you've encouraged us to act early on, on the signs that are there and to um, open up conversations early is also good for kids um, and to you're, you're really um, really speaking strongly I think on the importance of having conversations with a child's school and making a plan that um, plays to a young person's strengths, celebrates their achievements, that, that is really achievable and that has lots of encouragement um, in there as well. And um, you've also given us a lot of um, tips there on the supports both in school and the community more widely. I also want to mention that for young people from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander backgrounds and young people from households that speak a language other than English, the challenges that they're also facing are, are probably not the same as Anglo-Australian kids. You know, we're talking about some racism, discrimination, intergenerational trauma. And one of the things that is an absolute protective factor is that connection to culture that acknowledging that the rich culture and experiences that young people have and that they bring with them should be celebrated and it should be visible and it should be everywhere in a school and acknowledged. And, I, and for parents and carers out there, um, we know that those sorts of things are important because it invites you in. A school is meant to be a welcoming place, a place of connection for relationships with adults and carers and everyone there, not just for kids. It should be a place that you can go and just chat and talk and and just touch base with teachers. You know, all these sorts of things are such a wonderful... The school can be the centre of a community. And so there's got to be welcoming, it's got to be inviting and it's got to, um, it's got to have the visibility of everyone that that uh, school represents. Mm, I think that's a, that's a wonderful um, point for us to draw our discussion to a close. Genevieve, thank you so much for sharing your, your wisdom and your expertise and your top tips today. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and tell your friends. For more tips and information about the topics we've covered today, visit raisingchildren.net.au and education.vic.gov.au. I'd also like to acknowledge the Department of Education and Training Victoria for their support of this series. We hope you'll join us again next time. 